Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Sunday, February 27th, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? Pretty well. In the midst of a very busy work week, which is a bit inopportune timing after a recent bout with COVID, but uh, you take the money as you can get it, and you just take the rest day and try and heal everything up, body, mind, soul, so done a bit of everything today some music some video games some groceries and of course some sports how are you doing i'm doing well man the hey the best way to recover is to get back on your feet and and rebuild the system after laying low for a couple of days so that's good i'm doing well uh i am also in the midst of a busy work time so just having this day off to sit on the couch. Uh, my therapeutic moment of the day was getting a haircut and then uh, putting away some laundry because laundry is almost like two separate chores mm-hmm. of doing the laundry and then putting away the laundry. And I don't know if you'd call that like all one chore, but we, I kind of do it in two chunks. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually also put away laundry today that I has been sitting clean on my floor for about four days. So uh, I often break it into two separate days, which is really great to do when you have a studio apartment. (laughs) Tons of space. It's got to take the small wins. We're being productive, right? Yeah, just do it as you can. And uh, something I've found in the wintertime without too busy a social life, um, most of the clothes I wear are either pajama shirts and uh work shirts and that's about it so oh my gosh i wear the same i wear a pair of pants for a week yeah <laughs> because on zoom all you really yep. need is change the shirt and you're you're good to go um yeah it's it's quite a world we live in i think it's professional of you to even wear pants i'm not right now <laughs> all right all right on that note <laughs> we jump in to a podcast where Uh, Not too much to talk about since Thursday um, in at least our little niche of the sports world and what we really try and cover on a week-to-week basis. We've got some tennis talk, some basketball, and some hockey. So a little bit lighter, not a a buffet of previous pods, but some stuff that we can really dig into and talk about, and I'm looking forward to it. And we will start, it looks like, in Dubai. So my friend Max, take me through the tennis talk for this week. Not a buffet, a Michelin star meal with plenty of dense, hearty content for y'all. Starting off in Dubai, we give our congratulations to Andre Rublev for winning the ATP 500 level event. The finals win comes over a player few could have named this time last week, Yuri Vahatseli, but after the week he had in Dubai, I think he'll stay in the front of a lot of people's memory for a while, taking out players such as Robert Bautista Gu, who just won the Qatar 250 the other week. Uh, another player a couple guys might have heard of named Novak Djokovic, definitely the biggest win of Yuri's career. And then taking out our Canadian Denis Shapovalov in the semifinals, who's having a rough run against Czech players named Yuri. That's his second loss to one uh, in the month of February. I thought it was the same player for a sec, but it was Leheki who took him out in Marseille. Either way, however well he was playing, it wasn't enough. 
to take on Andre Rublev, who is coming fresh off a win in Marseille. Excuse me, Shapovalov lost in Rotterdam to the Czech player. Uh, Rublev reaching the quarters, I believe, in that event before he went on to Marseille, beating Felix Auger-Aliassime in the finals, also winning the doubles at that event. All this to say he played a ton of tennis the week before and then came in not the most competitive of draws. Um, maybe Definitely Mexico was a little more stacked this week and he didn't have to play Novak, who was the top predator. But uh, taking out Herkaz, the Polish player, a couple others on the way, uh, what's incredibly impressive is just the amount of tennis Andres had to play in the last two weeks and playing against a guy who's rolling in top form against top players. It's, I think he was probably an underdog in a lot of people's minds going into this, simply the way um, Yuri was playing as a seeded killer and the amount of strain that was on Andre's body. So he gets to rest up now before we get into the two 1,000 events in March. This definitely puts him at the top of a lot of people's lists to play very well in those draws. So excited to see how that goes on for him. Do you have anything to add to this before we move on to Mexico? I don't know. I guess if I were him, I'd be thinking it's not too much tennis to play when you're in a zone like this, when you're feeling it. And when you're this hot, you just want to get out there and play every day because you're rolling. And now that he's won two tournaments in the span of three, three tournaments in the span of a couple of weeks. Yeah. It's, it's really impressive. So if I'm him, like the rest is nice, but let's just keep it rolling right now while the, while the winds are coming and while things are hot and another player who's on a great start to their season, who's really hot down in Mexico is Rafa Nadal. That's where we go next. It's a fascinating thing. You mentioned the, when you're in that hot zone, how much tennis is too much tennis? Is there too much? I tend to think the hotter you are, the better you're going to play. But Rafa completely shattered that expectation or belief of mine back in January, where after five months off, he simply played at the highest level of tennis in the world uh, at 35. Nonetheless, um, he does it again, knowing exactly what his body needs. It seems he takes the couple of weeks off, but then comes to Mexico and just excels taking out Daniel Medvedev in the semifinals that puts him 2-0 over the player who's going to be number one seed in the world this time tomorrow and then against Cam Norrie player who was on a tear himself an eight win streak oh I didn't get to tell you about all the 250 level events that happened at the end of last week I just mentioned Rublev I mentioned uh, Robert Baptista Agu in very brief passing Cam Norrie took out Riley Opelka, who was also on a ridiculous tear, though the serving wasn't quite as insane in Delray. Nonetheless, it was going to take a player playing at a pretty high level to beat Opelka. That's what Norrie did, ran with all that momentum into Mexico, took it all the way into the finals, and kept it in the first set. He played fantastic tennis rafa simply matched him on his serve and then capitalized on those tiny tiny errors i don't even want to say he capitalized on them because when you play that well for that long you create your opponent's mistakes simply by having the greater mental fortitude um it's only a matter of time 
players can only play so well for so long. We talk about what makes, um, I feel like I should stop saying the big three because I really, I'm just talking about Nadal and Djokovic in the present moment. When I say it, it what it's what makes those two so special and puts them above the rest. Rafa shows it off to the world again. Um, the wins over Medvedev, both on hard court, I think it's pretty fair to say Rafael Nadal is the best tennis player in the world in this very moment in 2022, a flawless start, 2,500 points he's earned that he did not have uh, heading into clay season. He's going to have a couple thousand events if he plays well in March and takes the French. I think in June, he very well could have that number one next to his name. The tennis world continues to fascinate. We get a couple weeks off here. I think it's the 10th that uh, Indian Wells picks up. Really looking forward to that thousand level ATP event uh, with nothing else really going on at the same time means we're going to get the best of who's able to compete in that moment. Uh, awesome stuff from the ATP yeah. tour. Really trying to decide if I should be buying a membership to watch some of this tennis <laughs> a little more closely than I have been. I think for the month of March with two 1,000 level events, it might be worth it. Yeah, Indian Wells especially is is kind of in the running to get that moniker of fifth Grand Slam. As big a tournament as you can have that doesn't earn that status. So looking forward to that one coming up. Seems like the theme of this show is going to be hot streaks because we dive into basketball storylines here with our first story. Um, just talking about the hot streak of one amazing basketball player finally coming to an end last night. But prior to that, DeMar DeRozan had set an NBA record scoring 35 plus in eight straight games while shooting over 50%. The closest to that streak was Wilt Chamberlain. And we know how crazy his stats have been also playing center and not hitting mid-range shots. Wilt did it six games in a row. So DeMar on an unprecedented run. And it's really remarkable, not necessarily the scoring, it's the efficiency. That's so amazing. And uh, was watching a a mic'd up clip of Luka Doncic from the all-star game asking Demaris if he's ever missed a mid-range jumper in his life. Um, and Tamar saying, I like to make 19 out of 20. <laughs> and yeah, he just, he's done just that. It was incredible. Watched him on Friday night going against Atlanta. Um, he gets the ball They're They're down one. And you know, he's, he's just going to get to a spot spin away from Bogdanovich. He hits the, the elbow jumper plus a foul and Chicago goes on to win that one last night. Kyle Anderson did it as good a job as you could do on Demar, And it was tough for him to make those same clutch shots down the stretch. What's great about this bulls team is that he has a guy like Zach Levine or a spark plug like Kobe white, or even Nikola Vucevic that they can use in different spots. Why they're right up there with Miami racing for that first seed. Um, but the streak ends. John Morant putting on a clinic. I think he had 40 plus last night. 46. In I think it was a career high. Yeah. Another guy who is unbelievable. Uh, but I wanted to give DeMar his love because it was something. It's so fascinating that he has always been a mid-range assassin. It was something where the game wanted him to stretch his shot out to the three-point line a little bit more, especially the last couple of years in Toronto. We were begging him to do that. 
never was that efficient or great a three-point shooter. Then goes to San Antonio. They let him live as the guy in the mid-range and be the playmaker where he really evolved and perfected that game to the final level. And now here in Chicago, getting the love for it as defenses have transitioned into a style that wants you to take those shots that he's just so good at. And so it, it really has perfectly come around for him. And we got to appreciate what he's doing right now because we did talk about the three front runners for the MVP uh, last podcast. Really, his name is getting closer and closer to those guys with the way that he's been playing as of late. It's hard to make the argument when he has a Levine, but as to transition into our next topic, um, when you have multiple great players it's hard to know on the same team and they're making each other better opening up the floor for each other um i think thinking the mvp stuff kind of just subtracts from the greatness so why don't we just focus on the greatness if we're done with derozan's greatness uh two more players just at an absurd level james harden and joel Embiid. Harden dropping 16 assists in this win over the Knicks this past afternoon. Embiid, um, I think 37 points, 23 of those coming from the free throw line. Not a ton of ticky-tacks in there. Uh, two games in, and this duo is living up to all our worst nightmares. Yes. And the best way to watch this duo is in con- condensed game format mm-hmm. because the actual flow of these games, I think they shot over 30 free throws in the first half of both of their two games so far that Harden has been on this team. Obviously, like you mentioned, not a ton of ticky-tack fouls. It's hard to ticky-tack foul Joel and B because it's just so big. Um, but truly, like they're guys that create contact because of the way that they play, and it's going to lead to free throws, which is so invaluable for a team like Philadelphia that can set a half court defense and will help them in the playoffs. We've seen a lot of great teams. The most notable one is uh, either the 2006 Miami heat or the 2000 to 2003 Los Angeles Lakers where Kobe and Shaq were, they just got all the free throws that they could possibly desire. And so I don't obviously don't want to make the comparison here, but it is a, you're not the first. It is a guard in a center that, a big part of their game relies on drawing contact, drawing fouls, getting the free throw line, and they knock it down at a great clip. Plus the fact that they're incredible with the ball in their hands. And Joel Embiid already mentioning that this is the most space and time he's ever had. It's just completely different to play with a creator like Harden, who magically once again looks way better than he has all season. Somehow he's back to Houston Harden just at the snap of a fingers does really make you question uh, some of the ways that he's asked for way out in the past and kind of turned down the intensity level, but fantastic 27 and 12 and then 29 and 16 and bead with 37 today in the garden. And they just look so, so good. There was uh, one possession in particular where, Harden and Embiid pick and roll against, uh, I believe it was Fournier and Mitchell Robinson. And Harden gets that step on Fournier. So it becomes that two on one with Mitchell Robinson. And he does kind of this hesitation dribble 
Robinson gets sucked in for a split second, and then it's that perfect pocket pass. Embiid gets the layup plus the foul. Like you just you feel terrible for Mitchell Robinson in that moment because what can you do? It's either a floater or a foul on Harden, or he's dumping it off to a guy who's impossible to stop around the rim. And it it just shows already the potential that these two have as a tandem. The other great thing that it's done. And Max, before I keep ranting about this, I'll let you jump in if you have anything more to add. I'm really excited to see what happens when we have a Holiday and a Giannis on guarding a Harden and Embiid, when we have a Jimmy Butler on Harden and a Bam Adebayo on yep. Joel Embiid. Yep. So I don't want to get ahead of myself on the hype here. <laughs> um, also, I do believe... Harden has no control over how hard he plays and he just the type of guy who wears his emotions on his sleeves, which is to some teams detriment and other teams benefits on uh, Daryl Morey and Joel Embiid's benefit for sure. But yeah, the pick and rolls, those two ran uh, the playmaking, the bright light for Harden in the nets, even when the scoring touch wasn't there. He's taken that with him to the 76ers and just that extra bounce in his step, the hustle, the energy he has, um, like just rushing the ball down the court. Teams have to think so hard about where Harden and Embiid are on the floor. It's really opening it up. Um, Tyree Maxey, a terrifying prospect at the third option yeah, on the court. Exactly. Spacing-wise, Thibel not a bit, might I think defensive planning might be saved there. Um, that that may be the one chink in the armor, but again, we're just two games in, and I'm this might be a storyline that has me hyped to get back into the NBA as we get closer and closer to playoff basketball. And you bring up exactly tying into my final point here is the greatest thing that Harden provides for this Philadelphia team is that top playmaker that everyone else instantly their roles open up in response. So la this afternoon and the previous game, he's a guy that you can throw the ball to and feel confident in the most late shock clock scenarios. And normally it was Joel Embiid having to do that. But if he's spacing for someone else at the three-point line, sometimes that's not the best role for him to be trying to force something with four seconds left at his size. Obviously, he still can do it. He does it really well. But if you have a James Harden who has been doing this now for a decade, it just it opens everything else up. And like you said, Tyrese Maxey is the third option. Tobias Harris is the fourth option. These are guys now already you've seen it. Tyrese Maxey looks phenomenal. He catches a pass from Harden where his defender slightly moves over to start protecting against a drive. And he's so quick when he catches that ball, he's going to the rim. He's attacking. His floater game was excellent uh, in, in the first game that Harden was playing in. And he just, it looks like he already feeds so well off of this. And the rest of the team does like the 16 assists from Harden. They were not, your typical like lob to the center or kick to corner threes. He was finding guys and you brought up Matisse Thibel with possibly the lack of spacing there. What Philadelphia did really well in the game today that I saw was Thibel setting screens for a shooter off ball, like Tobias Harris and then cutting to the basket and Harden hit him on a couple of kind of alley-oop layups 
because two guys gravitated towards a shooter because you want to sag off Thibault. But then if he's right at the rim getting layups off of Harden being able to see the entire floor, it opens everything up. And then you saw him get a couple of steals and they just, the fit there is so perfect between the two of them where Thibault is going to take every team's best offensive option and allow Harden to really save himself to then run the offense. And Thibault can still be impactful in that offense, whereas with the Ben Simmons previously in that offense, not being able to space the same way, Thibault's ability to attack the basket off ball and make those cuts was not as valuable because the spacing just wasn't there. So something instantly that you notice about Harden opening up, obviously there's a honeymoon phase and it's still early with these two games and maybe the Knicks are not the best matchup, but yeah, like you said, I can't wait to see some of these games late in the regular season against some top seeds in the East to really see what we have here. But the early prospects are everything that you could have hoped for on paper. If you were a Philadelphia 76ers fan. It's one of those things where you just think for five seconds about the style of play James Harden and Joel Embiid have being three level scorers with the strength, the ability to drive. And you just, it, it can't go wrong. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. Uh, the one I would, you mentioned Thibault's defense. I was also thinking Maxi as a, third um scoring option it takes away some of the offensive pressure and i think we'll see that in the defense especially come playoff time this is a guy who's going to be able to play full court defense on the ball handler and make their life hell yeah and the less offensive load he has to carry the worse the nightmare gets for whoever that poor point guard is exactly he there are honestly possessions that I could see where he ends up being their de facto five. Like we had, we see some Harden Bible kind of pick and rolls to get switches where Harden is the ball handler. Matisse is diving to the basket and Embiid spacing out for them. Like that just feels like a great fit in itself because Thibel is an athletic enough finisher at the rim that that is a set that we could see as well that I'm interested in. Uh, in as well like when if you've got a Danny Green a Maxi a Harris an Embiid a Niang spacing out then you allow Thibel to be the only non-shooter on the floor and he can still be impactful all right uh, a team that I don't know what happened I guess the rest was a bad thing um, the Toronto Raptors back-to-back blowout losses to two teams chasing them in the standings in Charlotte and Atlanta not what you want to see if you're a Raptors fan coming out of the break. Also, OG Ananobi somehow fracturing a finger. So we don't know how long he'll be out as well, but he has missed the first two games so far out of the all-star break and obviously a key cog and Thaddeus Young doing his best to fill in, but you can see there's still some chemistry issues there between him and some of the other guys. He gets caught with the ball in late shot clock situations, or he's, running the dribble handoffs in the Raptors system and just it it's not clicking yet. I know it will because he's a great basketball system piece, uh, good playmaker. It, it just hasn't quite fit in yet. And he's not necessarily the best floor spacer, which you will need from him at times. Uh, but this Raptors team had good effort in the first 40% of the Atlanta Hawks game and then really flat, just like they looked in the Charlotte game. And I don't know what Nick nurse is going to have to do to wake them up, but it needs to come quickly because this is crunch time. We saw it with the Leafs coming out of the all-star break. Things instantly turn up a notch and Raptors while having a good 
buffer over falling out of the play-in game, you don't necessarily want to be in the play-in game. And while other teams are turning it up, you're going to have to find that next gear. That's right. Um, If hot streaks have been the theme for this pod, how about hot games? As we move into our final segment here, uh, I I saw the scoreline first, 10-7. A football game? You mean the football score? Of this Leafs Red Wing game, and I looked at um, the period scoring next. Went okay, three one, four one. That's bad. They got outscored five three in the third, but they had the game in hand. Like oh well, until I watched the recap and saw that seven six moment. Uh- <laughs> Watching it live, it was so much worse too. Yeah. So here's a quick stat before we get into the game. 10-7, right? Score. The Jacksonville Jaguars of the NFL scored less than 10 points six games this season. And the Leafs had 10 goals in a game. We're talking hot streaks. Matthews Marner bunting. This line is the hottest line in hockey. They are scalding. Bunting is actually in five-on-five statistics. He's tied with Drysettle and McDavid in both goals and points in five-on-five. Which is which is absurd. This is absurd. He played 26 games in the NHL prior to this season. He is right up there in the race for the Calder. Um, He may lose some votes from the media just because he's playing on a line with two of the greatest players in the NHL right now, but like so good fits in so perfectly. And then awesome Matthews. What can you say? He adds another one uh, last night. He now leads the league in goal scoring uh, after like a pretty slow start to the season, just, I think he's got now 30 goals in his last 32 games, which is nuts to think about. Um, and then, of course, Mitchell Marner, <laughs> who we know he's been hot since he came back from the injury and he started scoring more. But fuller goals last night does not hurt his <laughs> his points case. And that line was buzzing, especially in the second period. I think it was three straight shifts where they just hopped on the ice, went and scored. Hey, there was nothing that Detroit could do. But as we go into the game here now, there was nothing that any goalie could do in this game. They were pulled three times. Detroit actually flipped Nedeljkovic back into the net uh, after Thomas Grice gave up a couple. So, And then, of course, Jack Campbell. You got to say, tough game because the, for the first 60 minutes, it was just poured on by the Leafs in the Red Wings zone, and he wasn't getting a ton of action but some really, really soft goals in the third. Um, the other piece of this game that you, if you're a rational fan, you might give the Leafs a bit of a pass is the fact that there is some sort of illness going through the locker room night right now. That's not COVID. Uh, we saw Willie have to go to the bathroom after he scored a goal. We saw in the previous game, uh, different guys having to leave for stretches. So I think the team's not at a hundred percent right now, physically with what's happening, but the performance they had in the beginning of the third was atrocious. It was simply atrocious, like seven, two. And then it was lack of effort, a lack of awareness, couple muffins and seven, six. And honestly, like I had 0% doubt in my mind that Detroit was going to tie this game up. 
because yeah. they came close many a time. And it was, I don't know how the Leafs somehow managed to get a shorthanded goal. Like what Red Wings go on the power play down seven, six, it seems like everything's going to happen. And Mikheyev gets the shorty, which was big. Obviously was Red so Wings. Kasha. Oh, from Mikheyev. Pardon yeah. me. Yeah. Kasha scored it. And then right after that, the Red Wings score to put it at eight, seven. So yeah, I don't know what to say. It, it this I is think the game. It was just that a fun we, hockey game. I know we won though, but as a Leafs fan, you cannot. There's so many jokes that can be made, but a five goal lead cannot hap, cannot evaporate like this. It simply cannot. If you Especially are trying not to in the win, third period, not just the cup, but win a single playoff round, it cannot happen. All right, I I was losing my mind. And I'm laughing, but I'm crying. It. There's just there's so many demons that haunt this team that this was an opportunity through two periods. I had it in the notes. The Leafs match up well against these softer teams. When things get a bit more physical, they still seem to struggle. And I was like, okay, so they've run up to a great matchup in Detroit. They obviously they had the big comeback where Bunting had a hat trick the last time they played them. But obviously they can't play against this type of team either. And mm-hmm. if they want to make it a foot race, it's going to make my heart explode. And it raises questions about the defense. Uh, obviously I, I believe it was Dermot out tonight with the illness hall gets in. He was okay for the first two periods. Um, it raises questions about the goaltending. Yeah. Where that one on by Campbell well, was just ever inexcusable. Since, what was it? The first 36 games of the season. Now the goaltending has been below average. It's been bad just quite frankly. And so it is. Leafs Twitter, of course, there's ever, millions of us. You're, you're drumming up ideas of, oh, well, should we go get Marc-Andre Fleury? Oh, well, should we go get insert goalie name here? Uh, because Campbell's never had to do it for a full season. We're seeing it now. We thought Mrazic would be a good guy to kind of rotate in, but he has not been great either. And so when it gets to the playoff times, you need a reliable goalie. And that's just not what the Leafs have right now. Part of it's the defensive performances they've been putting in front of them. And it, if Dubas does not make a move for a defenseman at this deadline, it, it's a disaster in my eyes. Like it just it simply must be made. This is, there's no two doubts about it. There's but, too many questions. Like at yeah, this point, I, there's too exactly. many questions to go exactly. into the trade deadline without trying to answer some of them. At this point in the season, you can't be having games like this when you're a team that has lost out now in the first round six years in a row and has not made a second round since 2004. Blowing leads, especially. I just, the weight of this franchise bears so heavily down on the players. And I don't say this to make excuses. I say this to present it as a problem that needs to be solved because... I don't, we haven't found the solution. We we see Austin Matthews have this absurd offensive season last year and then just below average in the playoffs. We see Jack Campbell get off to this ridiculous red hot start and we see it just crump. We see once the crumbling starts, it just continues. There's some kind of infrastructure, some kind of mental support, some kind of team chemistry, something needs to be there when the pillars start crumbling to prop them back up. 
because when this team is great, they are the best. But the first sign of doubt, the first alarm bell goes off and there's just no way to plug the holes. And that's more than anything. I just want to see this team stumble and then right themselves and continue going. Like, I I think we could get Marc-Andre Fleury. He could be great. But then he has one bad game in the playoffs and I have zero confidence that greatness, it's just gone. It's gone until the next regular season. And I don't know what the solution to that problem is, but that is the thing that needs to be addressed. Yeah. If there was 5% of Kyle Dubas that was hesitant to make a move, it must be gone now. It's Florida or Tampa in this first round if the Leafs make it to the playoffs, which in itself is a Stanley Cup contender that you have to beat in the first round of the NHL playoffs. And this is the worst I felt coming off of a win in a very long time. Actually, no, really with this team, it it seems like it happens much more frequently than you might think. But um, from me, this is the message is it needs to be done. And it needs to be done now. We can't have these anymore. We just can't. Well, no confidence in Toronto. Other spots in Canada also staring at a loaded gun with a contemplative expression. Yes. The one, the the solace that I take now is that the Montreal Canadiens are ruining their chances. They were doing so well in the tankathon for Shane Wright. They have now passed the Arizona Coyotes uh, on a five-game winning streak now. They win in Ottawa last night. Marty St. Louis has turned on the light switch for the, yeah, (laughs) turned on the light switch for the kids. Caulfield looking much better. Suzuki looking good. Um, And the Canadians are buzzing, starting to find that mojo. And if you're Montreal Canadiens fans, obviously it's great when your team wins. And we went through this in Toronto for many, many years. Um, It's fun to win, but when you're bad, you might as well just be really bad. And the Canadians seem to be missing out on the point here. Uh, I don't, yeah, I, obviously they have a young team and they're going to get better, but it would be nice to put a very high draft pick next to them. They're only four points back of Seattle now, and there's a couple other teams that they could probably catch. So just fascinating to see this team potentially throw away a shot at a number one pick after being a dumpster fire for uh, 50, 53 games a season. I didn't think this team was going to make the playoffs heading into this season, but I didn't think they'd be anywhere close to as bad as they've started it. So, so this might just be a bit of a return to the mean. They are a better team than Arizona. They are a better team than Seattle. They're a better team than Ottawa. Honestly, when you factor in that Stanley cup run and the experience and benefits that come with it. So I think the tank for right was an incredibly ambitious ideal with an 82 game season. And it was always unlikely. They still will have some decent lottery odds. And as Toronto fans, I do think we have to expect the worst there, but uh, I, I think this five game win streak, just the other side of the bell curve of what we saw at for the start of the season. 
Yeah. There's some great players in this draft in the, in the top 10 of this draft. So if, if you're a Montreal yeah. fan, obviously you want Shane, right. But probably it doesn't hurt too bad if you end up with a top three pick and then you can go get Kaket Niemi and then lose <laughs> him to an offer sheet. <laughs> this is the uh. stuff I need today. This is the stuff I need today. All right. Um, that's going to do it. No one really wants to talk about baseball. Spring training should have started. We're probably going to have the season get delayed because negotiations are in a bad place and, and the lockout is, is going to continue there. So the only real thing I could talk about there is the possibility of having another shortened season might be a good thing for the Blue Jays. They seem to be a team that uh, does well with a little bit of variance, as we saw in 2020. But uh, yeah, that's that's a good baseball bit being true to the name that's what i love uh yeah i'm gonna plug it one last time if you haven't heard the our first and only podcast guest episode it is up it's been up for a week it's only going to get more and more buried in the queue as our order is sorted chronologically so go check it out if you haven't super proud of that one even if there's not a ton of sports on it uh oh i'll throw it to you before i sign out all right hey march is just around the corner listen to this great new pod with our friend albert and uh keep on tuning in because you know what happens in march we got march madness baby what a time to be alive. Uh, already some madness in college hoops as the top six seeds all lose on the same night for the first time in history. And we've got plenty of other great sports coming down the pipe. So thank you, everyone, for listening. I've been me, and Max is here to send you on your way. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. You only keep me on this pod to say Sports Next Door signing out because I feel that way sometimes, but... Sports Next Door signing out.